Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning, and we're very glad that you're here. I extend a special welcome to those of you who are visiting with us this morning. If you have questions about this church or about this faith, please don't hesitate to ask the people who brought you or the friendly and knowledgeable people at the visitor table out in the foyer. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there's a spark of the divine in every person. It is in the spirit of that heritage that I say, let us greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left, welcoming them here this morning. Please say with me the words by which we light our chalice, which is the symbol of our faith. In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. The call to worship is by Mary Oliver. I don't know exactly what a prayer is. I do know how to pay attention, how to fall down into the grass, how to kneel down in the grass, how to idle, to be idle and blessed, how to stroll through the fields, which is what I have been doing all day. Tell me, what else should I have done? Doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? People who don't know much about Unitarian Universalism are curious about many things about our movement, our denomination. And one of the things that I find people curious about is how do, how do you define yourselves? What holds you together? You don't have a creed. Uh, the Quakers don't have a creed, but they have as their central tenet the, the whole peace witness. You guys like peace, but that's not your main thing. We have many things at the center of our faith. This congregation, in writing its mission statement, named several of them. We wrote it on our wall. We say it together every Sunday. It guides us on our journey. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. The following reading is by Ellen Bass. The thing to love is to love life, to love it even if you have no stomach for it. And everything you've held dear crumbles like burnt paper in your hands, your throat filled with the silt of it. Then you hold life like a face between your palms, a plain face, no charming smile, no violet eyes. And you say, yes, I will take you. I will love you again. Now is the time in our service when we breathe deeply together. Where we find that still place where we might talk to God as we understand God. As we might listen to our inner wisdom or as we might just find the still point inside where we could 
spend a few moments being quiet. Let us enter the silence together. We've come to the end of the series on the Ten Commandments. It's been almost maybe more than a year. Um, somebody told somebody that they weren't coming back to church till that preacher was finished with the Ten Commandments series. So if anybody knows who that was, tell them they can come back now. Here's the last one. It says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. I was halfway through the work on this sermon before I realized I was going in completely the wrong direction. I don't know if this happens to you, not in sermons, but just in general life. I was writing about our U.S. consumer economy and about how we have to have a sense of enough and how... Um, we always want more than we have and how, you know, money doesn't buy happiness and advertisers make you want things you don't need and all of that. Uh, and then I read the commandment again because it's always good to go back to the text. And I realized that it wasn't about wanting things at all. It was about wanting things that belonged to somebody else. Oh. Oh. Start over. Because, uh, you know, my title was Want What You Have. And as soon as I saw that in the newsletter, I thought, that's ridiculous. I, God, everything would just grind to a halt. And people, our, our whole culture is, is engine runs on wanting to better yourself or wanting to save up money for a house or wanting this graduate degree or, you know, if you, anyway. Somebody told me after a sermon one time, he said, I just love watching a good fight. And, um, and when you're up there, I'm just watching a one-person fight. So, you know, wanting things is fine, although Buddhism says desire is the root of all suffering, but we're not talking about that this morning. It's wanting things that belong to somebody else that makes you crazy, because if it belongs to somebody else, you can't save up enough money to have it. You can't maneuver the world enough to have it. You have to either um, want something bad to happen to the person who has it, so that you can have it. Also, it is a problem for me. When they put wife in there, I don't see a wife as an it, and yet, at the time of the writing of this commandment, they did see women and children as the possession of the man. So they never would have had a commandment that said, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's husband, because... Number one, they just didn't talk to the women like 
if you're a martyr, you get 70 virgins in heaven. What are women most, you know, they're just not that interested in 70 virgins, probably. Even as a gay woman, that, that makes me unmoved. Uh, I'm just being honest here. So, and it would have sounded weird uh, saying, don't covet thy neighbor's husband or anything that belongs to thy neighbor, because husbands didn't belong to anybody. And so that just makes me grumpy right there about this commandment. All right, but... And also, I think people should be with who they love, and you should, you know, that whole, you're not an it, and if you need to want something other than you have marriage-wise, you struggle with it, it's always torture, and yet um, people should be with who they love, and that's just my opinion, and it has no bearing on uh, law or morality for you. So... Coveting and wanting something that is someone else's doesn't uh, only make you eat your heart out. It sets you up for wishing something bad would happen, or it makes you think about how you deserve that thing and they don't, and that encourages an adversarial dynamic instead of a, a cooperative one or a compassionate one. It can create bad feeling between Neighbors and friends it can create guilt and anger and sorrow. It can make you write songs like Layla, which is a good song. But the community is damaged. Friendships are torn apart. In a coveting situation, the fabric is torn. Unless you can have grace in your coveting, uh, I have a friend who, who knows this woman who always says, ooh, I'd sure like to have what she has, and she have one better. I guess that's a way to dance around it. There's a UU professor who's uh, suffering with Lou Gehrig's disease. He's a writer. Philip Simmons is his name. He's got a book called Learning to Fall. And he talks about learning to uh, die from Lou Gehrig's disease, basically. He writes that wrongdoing is not going to send you to hell, um, but it damages the fabric of our community. It damages the well-being of, of the whole group that you're in. He says, in our seventh principle, we say that everything is connected. And so when you act destructively, you do damage to the whole web, the whole interdependent web. He says, all world religions place wrongdoing in a larger context. In the Vedas, the Hindu scriptures, the word papakrita, which comes closest to being sin, denotes any action not in accord with the cosmic order. In Taoist philosophy, the Tao refers both to the fundamental nature of things and the way of being in alignment with the nature of things. The Hindu and Buddhist concept of karma acknowledges that actions 
not in alignment with the order of things, affect us both in this life and lives to come. He says, try to grasp that your behavior, good and bad, affects us all in ways that we don't completely comprehend. And we have to imagine that it's true that we are all connected and that we imagine our behavior, our, how we conduct ourselves as in accordance with the way things are. And that is sometimes mysterious. We don't know sometimes what to do how to be in accordance with the way things are. All we can do as Unitarian Universalists, so we don't have any um, scripture that has a list of rights and wrongs that we acknowledge the authority of, we have the authority of the whole, of the ring of truth and of our conscience and of our hearts. We carry the authority in here and in the community. And so we try to figure out what the best thing is to do, and we make mistakes. So, even if we have reached that spiritual plane where we don't covet things other people have, their houses or their gardens or their cars or their jobs, um, even if we understand that we're on our own path and uh, what we can make happen is what we can make happen. We don't have to make anything bad happen to somebody else so we can have their stuff. Where we fall short a lot of times is in our relentless drive for self-improvement. We have people we admire. And we don't want stuff that they have, but we want qualities that they have. And we look at somebody and we go, oh, they're so creative. I wish I had that. Or, oh my goodness, they're so organized. I wish I had that. Or, goodness, they seem to be able to, to be sunny in their disposition no matter what. Wish I had that. Or, oh, they've got such a good family, that family just radiates togetherness. I want that. But, um, as the 12-step people would point out, you're comparing your insides to their outsides. You have no idea, really, what goes along with that person's creativity or that other person's organizational skills. And um, one way to make yourself really unhappy is to make a composite person uh, with this amount of creativity and that family and this organizational skills and everything. You just have everything. wish I just had all of those things. You can really be miserable if you want to. Because you're ignoring, you know, this person's five marriages and that person's tiny little problem with alcohol and this person's um, terrible relationship with their parents and... So one of the things that Simmons says to do is to uh, take your demons of jealousy and invite them in to the holy circle. He says we don't make ourselves better. We don't improve ourselves by scourging our sinful impulses, you know, our destructive impulses. Um, let me just quote him. We do not heal ourselves by scourging or rejecting our sinful parts, but by drawing them into a circle of holiness made large enough to include them. There's nothing our demons enjoy more than a good fight. 
nothing that confuses them more than our embrace. Our goal always is to transform evil through love. All right. So the word evil bothers me, but I'm going to lay that semantics aside. And the word sin bothers me. I'm going to lay that aside too. I'm just going to say, hmm, how would you embrace those demons of jealousy? Well, there is a writer named Julia Cameron who writes for artists. She wrote a book called The Artist's Way. And she talks about um, using jealousy to teach yourself. So you have a person you're jealous of something that they have or something that they are, and you ask yourself, okay, I'm jealous of that person, which means that I want what they have. So if they're organized, say, I'm just saying that because this is something that hovers ever out of reach for me. <clears throat> if they're organized, you say, I want that. Good. So your jealousy is giving you a map of where you need to go next. It's, she calls it a jealousy map. And she says, so just make yourself a little grid if you want to and say, here's the person's name, here's what I'm jealous of, here's what this means for me. So if I'm jealous of somebody who's organized, um, then what I need to do is just say, okay, does this mean I want to be more organized? My other spiritual teacher, other than Julia Cameron, one of the other ones is Martha Beck. And she says, if you want something like being more organized, you have to ask yourself, is that really what you want? And I say, do I really want to be more organized? And I ask myself, if I were more organized, then what? Well, then I'd spend less time looking for stuff, and I'd know where everything was, and I could be more peaceful in my mind and lay my hand on everything. And I ask myself, do I need to be more organized for that to happen? And I say, no, I don't. I just have to have somebody who's organized help me. <laughs> Which is much better. I don't have to eat my heart out over being more organized. She's more organized. I'm jealous. I'll get somebody who's organized to help me. This person is really creative. What does that mean? If I'm jealous of a person who's really creative, I say, what does that mean for me? Or this person writes a blog and get lots of good comments. Okay, I want to write a blog um, and get lots of good comments. Do I really just want lots of good comments? What would that mean for me? Well, it would mean that I feel validated. It would mean that I feel confident. It would mean that I feel like I'm doing this right. Is there any other way to get there? I want to feel confident. Can I feel confident without good comments? I don't know. But you just have to follow the thread to where you want to go. Does that make sense? So you embrace the demons of jealousy, and you let them show you, shine a light on where you need to go next, what changes you need to make in your life. What helpers you need to bring in if you don't want to change? Which God knows. I don't. It's hard. I like changing by accident because that is a lot less effort. All right. So I, my job is not to hammer you this morning, obviously. My job is to invite you to... 
grow in your spirituality so that you get more clarity about what's real, about what would be really good for you and for the community, for the planet. Maybe you need to meditate more. Maybe you need to be out in nature more. Maybe you just need to think more deeply about what it is you really, really want. Um, Maybe you just need to make lists of things that you feel jealous about um, and try not to scourge your demons, but try rather to ask how they could help you in a way that's also good for the community. Coveting is an indicator of where you need to go. Use that energy for good. Use it to move yourself toward wholeness. Demons love a good fight. See if you can't confuse them by inviting them into your holy circle. Please say with me the words by which we extinguish the chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. I know this rose will open. I know my fear will burn away. I know my soul will unfurl its wings. I know this rose will open. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at www.austinuu.com dot o r g